you know, I think there still are big divides in our society, uh, you know, things like race and gender. But I think that the biggest divides uh, for us in this modern age are actually over ideas. And so what if we could be the kind of community where we put aside our differences? We can have robust discussions about them, but we do it in love. And at the end of the day, we can lay down our weapons and, and praise Jesus together. What an incredible counterexample that would be to all the mudslinging and vitriol that we find in our social media feeds. Hi, and welcome to the Northridge Vineyard Evening Community Podcast. We're a church community in Sydney, Australia, who are passionate about pursuing God together and seeing the world changed by His love. We hope this message challenges and inspires you. For more talks and other resources, please visit our website, www.northridge.org.au. Good evening, friends. It is wonderful to be back with you. Um, we probably already made a joke about this, but as the tour of our living room continues, we realized we'd kind of shown you all of the aesthetic angles that we could do. And so Jen pretty much reorganized the whole room just for you guys. So that's how much we love you as pastors. Um, you also may note that it's been quite a few weeks that I've been preaching. You'll be very pleased to know that this is the last one for a little while. Uh, I'm going to have about a month off as some of our other wonderful preachers share with us uh, in this new series that we're doing. Speaking of new series, uh, we are starting a new series uh, this week looking at the book of Colossians. And in particular, in particular, we're interested in, the, in looking at it through the lens of reconciliation. So why Colossians? Why reconciliation? Why now? Well, I probably don't need to convince you that we live in a world that is deeply divided and is getting worse. We live in a society that is basically organizing itself into these uh, opposite camps that like to yell at each other on social media. So whether it's left and right politics, whether it's progressive and conservative visions of the world or uh, pro or anti, whatever issue you like, our society is, is dividing itself and all of the research suggests that it's getting worse. Sadly, I don't think the church is immune from this either. You know, you only have to jump onto Facebook or, uh, or Twitter or Instagram and you will see that even within the church, these divisions are causing all sorts of problems. And sometimes when we think about it, I think we assume that the solution is if we have these uh, polar opposite views is actually to just meet in the middle as a compromise. Now, sometimes that might be the case but I want to read a quote uh, from a guy called Rich Billadas, who wrote The Deeply Formed Life, uh, which I think really just nails this. Uh, Rich says, The church is not to be found at the center of a left and right political world. The church is to be a species of its own kind, confounding left, right, and so-called middle, and finding its identity from the center of God's life. So what he's saying here is that we have this tendency to take three-dimensional issues with all sorts of perspectives and ideas and approaches, and we tend to put them into one dimension. You're this, or you're this, or you're somewhere along that line. And as God's church, I think we need to actually reject these either-or paradigms and embody uh, a three-dimensional view uh, of these complex issues by forming communities that are centered around God. I mean, imagine a faith community where people from all ages and stages, backgrounds, persuasions, all walks of life could come together and honestly worship Jesus 
in the same space uh, with mutual love. Wouldn't that be incredible? And now, I'm, uh, importantly, I'm not trying to say that I think we need to agree on everything either. It's just that we need to agree on one thing, and that's Jesus. And we need to let that be enough to unify us. You know, interestingly, as society becomes more and more post-Christian, um, I wonder if it's actually becoming a little bit more like the world of Paul and the early church that we read about in the scriptures. You know, in the Roman world, it was incredibly multicultural. The Roman Empire uh, got all sorts of, of cultures and, and nations and languages and religions all together in the same space. Even within the church, there was Jews and Gentiles. There was slave and free, male, female, followers of Paul, followers of Apollos, followers of Jesus. Um, but in the book of Colossians, Paul paints a really bold and beautiful vision for a reconciled community of faith, uh, reconciled and centered around Jesus. And so as we get into this book, we're going to start in the only logical place, which is not the beginning, not the end, not the middle, but actually in the book of Philemon. Now I'll let you just download that for a moment. We know that Philemon was one of the uh, leaders of the early church in Colossae. And Colossians and Philemon were most likely sent together, uh, written by the Apostle Paul from Rome in prison, sent together to the church. Uh, Colossians addressed to everyone and Philemon addressed to the church's leader. And we're going to start there because it gives us a really fascinating lens through which we can interpret the book of Colossians as we continue through this series. I don't know if you've ever heard a sermon on Philemon before. I haven't, but I'm about to. Uh, So why don't we get into it together? Now, before we read this absolutely fantastic passage of scripture, I'm going to give you a little bit of background because the first time I ever read this book, I had absolutely no idea what was going on. The context is really critical here. So let me introduce you to the uh, to the main players in this book. And future Chris is going to do some scribbling on the side of the screen, which hopefully will help you understand this diagrammatically. So first of all, you have Philemon. He lives in Colossae. He is the head of a household and at some point becomes a Christian. We don't know exactly when, uh, but we do know that Paul is involved in him and his household becoming Christians. Now, Philemon had a slave uh, and this slave's name was Onesimus. They have all the great names in Colossae, obviously. Um, And at some point, again, we don't know when, uh, this slave, Onesimus, ran away to Rome and possibly uh, from context stole something or took uh, some amount of money with him as he went. Now, uh, by all odds, uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul, meets Onesimus in Rome and they become great friends. Onesimus becomes a Christian, uh, becomes a disciple of Paul. Uh, They become great friends, as you'll find out in the letter. And eventually, Paul sends Onesimus back to Colossae from Rome, carrying this letter that we're about to read, probably alongside the book of Colossians 2. And so as we read this, I want you to picture yourself perhaps as this slave who has wronged his master, um, who's coming back and presenting this letter uh, to your old master. You have no idea what is going to happen in response, um, but that's the context into which this is being read. So if you've got a Bible handy, now would be a great time to 
uh, open it up or switch it on, we're going to be reading uh, from Philemon, chapter, the only chapter, and verses, all of the verses. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow, fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as, no, it is as none other than Paul, an old man and now a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful to both you and to me. I'm sending him who is my very heart back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man as a brother, and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, as do Mark, Archiastus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. There you go. You can now say you read a whole book of the Bible today. So what has just happened? Well, first of all, uh, is, as Paul so often does, he sends his greetings, he sends some kind words. Uh, but then he gets down to business and appeals as a friend for Philemon to receive his slave Onesimus back. And what's more, he doesn't just want him to receive him back as a slave. He actually wants to receive Onesimus back as a brother. And the reason, well, it's because of Jesus and because they... Because of their mutual love for Jesus, it makes them one family. And because they're family, uh, Paul wants Philemon to take his slave back as a brother. Now, the next thing we find in verse 11, which is actually for all you Bible nerds, uh, is, is actually a pun or a play in words, which is quite amusing. Uh, Onesimus, the name in Greek, means profitable or useful. And so in verse 11, Paul says, once he wasn't useful to you, but now he is. So you can all have a little chuckle. Um, Paul goes on to put himself between them and says, if there's any 
cost. If there's anything owing financially between the two of you, then I will cover that debt. Uh, and then after that, sends his final greetings and says, prepare a room for me. I hope I will see you soon. Now, we don't actually know what happens after this letter is read out. We don't know whether Philemon chose to take his, his slave back as a brother, as a slave uh, at all. We just don't know. Um, and I kind of wonder whether that's actually the mercy of the Lord, forcing us to engage with the issues in the letter rather than just the outcome. And so let's take a moment and let's draw out just a couple of things that I feel like the Lord is trying to say to us through this letter. So what do we learn from this quirky, short little book of the Bible called Philemon? Well, I'm going to give us three lessons. And the first one is this. Philemon gives us a radical call to reconciliation. As God's people, we have a radical call to reconciliation. You know, often when we read stories in scripture, we can kind of get into this mentality that's uh, people that we don't know a long time ago who have slightly funny names. But I think when we read this book, knowing the context, we're supposed to be reeling. As a master, Philemon had a right to punish his slave, his property, in any way that he wanted. He could do whatever he wanted in response uh, to what Onesimus had done. And when we're wronged, it kind of creates this Uh, moral, internal sense of injustice. We feel that we have this right uh, to set things right. We have this right to justice that's very hard to ignore. I think all of us uh, will know what that means, what that feels like. And in church communities, I don't think we're any less prone to holding on to hurt or holding on to unforgiveness uh, than anyone else. We're just as human. But Uh, As Jesus says in the Lord's Prayer, uh, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. As Christians, as we have been forgiven, we are also called to forgive. But reconciliation is actually a step further than forgiveness. Forgiveness is letting go of that uh, internal sense of justice, that internal desire to set things right. Whereas reconciliation actually suggests a repair in the relationship. It requires us to lay down our rights and actually do the hard work to mend fences and to mend relationships when they've been hurt. Now, I do just want to add a clarifying point here because sometimes we think when we read something in the scriptures that it sets a precedent and that we have to do the same thing in the same situation. And that might be true in some cases, but I don't think that's the case here. Uh, You know, there are situations where Paul himself Um, parted ways with others rather than reconciling the friendship. So I don't think this is necessarily trying to create a precedent that we always have to copy. You know, there are going to be some times when people simply aren't willing to come to the table. They're not interested in reconciliation. It's very hard to mend a relationship in that setting. You know, there are some cases where reconciliation and mending friendships is not safe or not healthy. So I'm not saying that we have to reconcile with everyone all the time. But what I am saying and what I think Paul is is calling us to 
in this book is he's setting the bar very high when it comes to reconciliation within Christian community. You know, we're not part of a social club in the church. We are a family. And if Paul is calling Philemon to reconcile with his slave, then what does that say to us? So firstly, Philemon gives us a radical call to reconciliation within Christian communities. The second lesson I think we can draw out of this book and that God wants to speak to us today is that Paul here is casting a new vision for Christian community. Now, we don't have time to go into a full deep dive of the Roman world, um, but there, it's interestingly, we get two different kinds of relationships held in contrast here. The first one is the master-slave relationship. And as a slave, you effectively belonged to your master. You were uh, his property and he could do whatever he wanted with you. There's a massive power imbalance there, isn't there? And that's held in contrast to what uh, Paul describes uh, as dearly beloved brothers. In the Roman world, uh, brother-sister relationships, uh, sibling relationships were the most intimate and the closest relationships you could possibly have with anyone. And so when Paul is asking Onesimus and Philemon to reconcile, this master and slave to reconcile, but not within their old context, but now as brothers in Christ, it totally flies in the face of Roman society. It's totally countercultural that anyone would ever do that. And what I think we learn here, and it's something that uh, Paul really develops in Colossians chapter 3, is that Paul had a radical new vision for Christian community that crossed all kinds of social and political boundaries. And it's not just Paul, I think, that has this vision, but Jesus himself. You see, within, uh, within the Gospels, we read about Jesus' inner circle, his disciples, and we learn that even within that group, we had uh, a Roman sympathizing tax collector, that's Matthew, and an anti-Roman militant, that's Simon the Zealot. And yet somehow these two totally opposing uh, people were able to, to be a part of Jesus' inner circle, to rally around Jesus' vision for the kingdom of God and around Jesus himself. You know, they were able to break down these either-or dichotomies and realize that what God is inviting them into, what Jesus invited them into, was something totally different. And I believe that we are called to be a church where people from very different backgrounds and persuasions can rally around Jesus. You know, I think there still are big divides in our society, uh, you know, things like race and gender. But I think that the biggest divides Uh, for us in this modern age, actually over ideas. And so what if we could be the kind of community where we put aside our differences? We can have robust discussions about them, but we do it in love. And at the end of the day, we can lay down our weapons and and praise Jesus together. What an incredible counterexample that would be to all the mudslinging and vitriol that we find in our social media feeds. So secondly, Paul is giving us, through this book of Philemon, a new vision for Christian community and a radical vision for Christian community. The final and third lesson that I think we can draw out of this book is actually uh, that here Paul sets up a dangerous precedent for grace. Work with me. I wanted to call out one particular thing in verses 18 and 19, which is that Paul effectively offers to pay any damages 
owing from what Philemon did, from what uh, Onesimus did to Philemon. Now, common sense and logic suggest that that's not actually a fantastic idea. Um, Anyone who's been in this kind of situation would know that involving yourself financially in someone else's dispute can be a really dangerous move. What's more, justice would dictate that the offender should actually pay their debt so that they learn a lesson and, and there's some kind of incentive not to go and do it again. But I want to draw this out. I want you to understand that what Paul's doing is effectively setting up a dangerous precedent here. Um, a reckless move in the eyes of the world because only when we understand the gravity of what Paul is doing here, when we understand the gravity of this offer, do we recognize the costly, uh, reckless, uh, but beautiful nature of grace. And we recognize, we begin to recognize that what Paul is doing here is exactly what Jesus has done for us. He paid the ultimate price so that we can be reconciled. And uh, particularly next week, as we get into the book of Colossians, we're going to realize that um, the death and resurrection of Jesus is the starting point for all reconciliation. It's where it begins. It's what allows us to be the family of God. You know, what Paul Paul is modeling Jesus here in this conversation Uh, And in doing so, I think he's trying to open a pathway to reconciliation, but also remind them that Jesus paid the ultimate price. And so thirdly, Paul sets a dangerous precedent of grace. Well, friends, thanks for sticking with me. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, We are coming into land now. But just to summarize, what is it that the book of Philemon is all about? Well, firstly, uh, it's a radical call to reconciliation. Paul sets a very high bar for reconciliation within the family of God. Secondly, Paul gives us a new and uh, and slightly crazy vision for Christian community where people of all backgrounds and all persuasions can rally together around God. And finally, We are supposed to be a community that is founded on grace, where we realize that the price Jesus paid is the foundation for all restoration and reconciliation. So how do we go about actually doing that? You know, these are very lofty ideals, I realize. How are we actually supposed to live out that kind of radical community that Paul is suggesting here? Well, That's what the next five weeks of this series are all about as we go through the book of Colossians. Next week, uh, Mandy's going to be talking about uh, Jesus reconciling with us, uh, the final point that I made in there. Uh, After that, Bonnie's going to be talking about reconciling with ourselves and reconciling our past. Uh, We're going to talk about reconciling humanity, uh, friendships, and ultimately culture. Uh, But it would be very remiss of me not to mention uh, in this talk at some point that Reconciliation is something that we at Northridge take very seriously. And we actually have a document that outlines um, our recommended process for the reconciliation process. You can can find it on the Northridge website. Just Google uh, Northridge Vineyard Pathways to Reconciliation and you will find it. It's a wonderful tool. It's something that you can download, read and use for yourself. Um, Or if you need help 
reconciling with someone, uh, whether within the church or, or outside of the church, then this is something you can actually work through uh, with someone else or one of the pastors at Northridge. We'd love to help you do that process. Uh, it's a really wonderful document and a lot of thought has been put into it. Uh, it also gives some really interesting biblical background to reconciliation from outside of Colossians, should you want to read that. But I'm going to stop talking now and let's pray to Jesus because none of this is ever going to happen without the help of the Spirit. So why don't we take a moment, take a big deep breath, close your eyes, and let's pray to Jesus. Well, Lord, we just want to thank you that everyone is welcome around your table, that everyone is welcome to be a part of your family, regardless of our background, regardless of our uh, political beliefs, And in a world deeply divided, Lord, would you show us how to be a counterexample? Would you show us how to be a community uh, where even people with very different ideas can come together and worship you as one? Lord, give us the mind of Christ so that we can uh, to see those who have hurt us in a new light. And Lord, I want to pray that you would help us to be humble enough to recognize when we have hurt others too. Lord, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lord, remind us of how the outrageous uh, but the beautiful act of grace, uh, remind us of that beautiful act of grace that is the cross. And Lord, finally, I want to pray that you would help us uh, as church communities to, to be a people formed in your image. Lord, we want to reflect you well. Uh, within our our own communities, but also out to the world. We want to be an example uh, of what your love looks like in the world. So, And we know that we can't do that without your help. So Holy Spirit, come. We invite you into our hearts. We invite you into our friendships. We invite you into our communities. We invite you into our church. Come and have your way in us, Lord. Amen.